0: Welcome to Episode 17 of the Princeton Podcast with Mayor Mark Frieda. In this episode, Mark sat down with Drew Dyson, CEO of the Princeton Senior Resource Center, whose programs include social and recreational activities, health and fitness classes, educational and enrichment programs, technology assistance, retirement planning, and volunteer activities. In addition to discussing the Princeton Senior Resource Center's programs, Drew also described their newly opened additional facility at 101 Poor Farm Road, offering expanded space for classrooms, meeting rooms, and a variety of gathering spaces, both inside and outdoors. So without any further introduction, let's join our host, Mark Frieda, and his guest, Drew Dyson, for Episode 17 of the Princeton Podcast. Drew, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
2: Thank you. So let me start with a question here. Drew, from a 30,000-foot level, what is PSRC
1: or the Princeton Senior Resource Center? Well, the Princeton Senior Resource Center is a community nonprofit, and we exist primarily to help older adults thrive. We have been in the Princeton community for uh, nearly 50 years. We started in 1974 out of Spruce Circle, uh, and we uh, exist to provide support and guidance to older adults and their families. Uh, We seek to provide vital human connections and compassionate social services as well as uh, dynamic lifelong learning opportunities and uh, meaningful volunteer programs for uh, people in the in the uh, retirement years of their lives. That's all? <laughs> <laughs> in, a nut, in a nutshell. In a nutshell. Um, Drew, how long have you been CEO at Princeton uh, Senior Resource Center now? So I came on board in March of 2019. So I uh, just started my fourth year and thankfully, I had a year to settle in and get to know uh, people and staff and community before uh, before the pandemic uh, changed the world for all of us. So that is uh, that is when I began. Yeah, it's interesting. I've had some other recent
2: podcasts with people, and a number of them had started literally a couple of weeks or a couple months right before COVID. So you uh, you had a slight advantage. So. I was going
1: to say, having a full year always gave me uh, <laughs> a little comfort, especially as I talked to some of my colleagues who started a week before the pandemic began. So yeah, yeah
2: um, so here's here's a detail not everyone may yet be aware of, but you opened a, a second site to supplement the program space you have at the Suzanne Patterson Center, which is behind Monument Hall. Um, and I guess the new site, has offices
1: and a learning center. Anyway, let me stop and you tell me all about it. Yeah, so we are delighted to open the Nancy S. Class Center for Lifelong Learning at uh, 101 Poor Farm Road in Princeton. And uh, the Class Center for us is uh, home for many of our lifelong learning programs. We have Uh, state-of-the-art classrooms. We have a phenomenal technology lab where we uh, give assistance to people with uh, technology needs. Uh, We really created the building with gathering spaces for uh, people simply to come together with others from the community and to have a great cup of coffee or to spend time by our fireplace, which we have inside or out on our beautiful patio. Uh, So it's a, a building that has been something we've talked about for a long time uh it's been in our minutes for about 15 years uh, the need for additional space for our programs and so uh, the class center is a phenomenal addition to the community we believe yeah it's pretty impressive what you've done in that building uh, i'm actually pretty familiar with the
2: building because a a place i used to work years ago actually rented the that that same building that that you now have um <laughs> so it looked uh it looked a lot different back then. And so uh, it's nice to see all the upgrades and, and what a beautiful space you have turned it into.
1: Well, if I can uh, just say really quickly, we had a phenomenal architecture team uh, with Terry Smith and Juliet Richardson, and we had great builders. And really together, we saw a vision for what was you know, really a standard office building and converted it into this lifelong learning center that I think virtually every time somebody comes to see it, they they can't believe that this was just an office building. And the beauty of the space with our gathering spaces and fireplace and lounge and classrooms uh, really did transform this space. Yeah. So how, how did you pick that site compared to maybe other th- places you looked at? So when I began in March of 2019, uh, by June we had appointed, knowing that this is something the board had been working on, uh, we appointed a building task force, and our primary commitment uh, was to stay in Princeton. Uh, you know, we had previously looked uh, at places all over in, in different communities, but we decided it was important for us to remain in Princeton. And then we were looking for a site that had uh, phenomenal parking and public access. And so those were two, you know, really important values for us. So finding a spot that was on both the, the municipal. Bus route that we were able to add, but also on the New Jersey transit line just uh, right to the south of us the New Jersey transit buses come and then parking almost 200 parking spaces out here which people have been to our programs previously and the, the crowd that builds it at Monument Hall knows that it's you know often difficult to find parking and so you know having parking access was important for us as well.
2: yeah, what's well, interesting how successful many of your programs are. And that you draw so many people that you need to be worried about parking <laughs> to that degree, right? So I mean, that's right. a, that's a good thing. That's a good problem. Yeah.
1: Yep. And we looked all over all over town. We looked at every every property available. We had a team that ran every lead to the ground. We looked at every building and really came to love this location, uh, not only for what the building could offer in the parking, but also it's just a beautiful setting trees all around us and uh, able to design some outdoor spaces that uh, really take advantage of that it it is a nice setting i'm reminded when
2: you said that that um when i worked in the building across the street on the corner of mount lucas and Four farm uh, many times we'd have people from new york city come down and you know there's there's deer walking out there there's uh fruit trees there's you know all kinds of nature happening all around you and people from new york would be looking going Wait, what, what is this place?
1: <laughs> <laughs> we actually, as we speak, we have geese nesting on our roof. So we uh, <laughs> we have been lucky enough to be the recipients of uh, a couple that has uh, made their nest home on our roof, and uh, it's it's phenomenal to come to work every day and be greeted by the geese in the in the parking lot and on the roof. <laughs> there you go. Um,
2: all right, let's switch gears a little bit. What I like to do with people when we're talking to them during these podcasts is just ask a little bit about each person. So, um, you know, Drew, did you grow up around here or somewhere else?
1: Yeah, so I was born in Princeton at the old uh, Princeton Medical Center. Uh, my father uh, was the pastor of the United Methodist Church down on Van Deventer in the late 60s, early 70s in that time frame. And uh, so the, the first five years of my life were on Laurel Circle, uh, which many people are, are familiar with. And so... Uh, This is, Princeton has always been uh, home for us. We moved uh, when I was five and then spent most of my childhood and adolescence at the Jersey Shore in Ocean Grove and uh, have since been back to Princeton several times for uh, graduate school. So glad to uh, to be back again. That's great seeing that you have roots here. That makes it, I think that's a nice thing. It is. It's been
2: great. So um, obviously you had a, life before the Senior Resource Center. So where where were you before you came here?
1: Yeah, so prior to being in the nonprofit sector, I served as a clergy person in the United Methodist Church and, and continue to be uh, a clergy person. I just serve in a different way uh, now, but I served uh, local churches. I taught graduate school, theological school in Washington, D.C., uh, and most recently, prior to coming on board, I was uh, what in our denomination we call a district superintendent. And I uh, served in the central New Jersey area, supervised about 65 churches uh, and clergy in that area. And so uh, that's what I was doing immediately before joining the staff. And I did that for about six years prior to joining PSRC.
2: So hearing that, I I assume that you have a personality well suited to dealing with all the uh, varying, different thoughts and opinions
1: that come with being a a nonprofit in Princeton. (laughs) You know, I think that is, uh, yeah, I've been well well trained for that, and uh, you know, also, uh, you know, just have always had a great appreciation for people. One of the things. Uh, my mother taught me early on was the best thing in life to be successful is to be curious so I really try and you know be curious about the people I meet I want to hear their stories and I think when when you take time to hear and get to know the people you're working with you appreciate uh, you can appreciate the individual even if they have differing opinions and I think that's you know important thing in the work that we do but also in just civic life in general no, I, I would agree. If you actually take the time to listen to people, um, which not everyone
2: does, but <laughs> if if we do and actually right. hear what they're saying and take the time to get a little bit about their background and perspectives, you know, it, it kind of helps when you when you're having an exchange with somebody. If, I mean, if you have some idea where they're coming from and what their past experiences are, it just helps your level of understanding uh, so much. Absolutely. Yeah, so. I think that's that.
1: That is critical.
2: There's our, there, there's our lesson for the day. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> um, so, Drew, what are you able to do or offer at um at the 101 Poor Farm road site that you could not do at the Suzanne Patterson Center?
1: Yeah, so uh, like I said earlier, our board had been looking at and considering additional space for uh, nearly 15 years. And really, we had simply uh, outgrown the space at Suzanne Patterson. So... Um, One of the things that we had been doing for uh, the last several years has been uh, renting space all over the community for our Evergreen Forum classes and other lifelong learning programs that we did. We often had to rent uh, several different facilities at the same time uh, as we were going. And so, you know, the primary thing is just the additional space. Uh, We also had... um, you know very limited office space at uh, the Suzanne Patterson building and so you know our staff was really crammed in and did excellent work. I always felt a little bit guilty because I had you know my own office but then you know most other spaces we had two or three or four even people sharing a space and uh, was really crowded. So in this new building uh, we have classrooms that are larger than any of the classrooms that we had previously and uh, we were able to do a lecture hall that gives great sight lines for lectures. Our technology lab expanded fourfold. So we, were, we had um, converted a closet previously in Suzanne Patterson to become our technology lab. And uh, so that was pretty crowded. And now we have space to not only house the, the, the computers and other technology that we use in that space, but also to do... Uh, teaching and seminars on technology. Uh, the other thing that this space uh, really does for us at the Poor Farm Road location is to provide gathering spaces, just really, you know, as a place for the community to come and to relax, to have time before a class, after a class. We have several people who just, just come to sit by the fireplace and read the newspaper and have a cup of coffee, or yesterday we had uh, a group who had a class and they stayed for lunch and ate on our patio and they just had a great time together so those kind of spaces we didn't have in the in the previous building now having said that you know we still you know utilize the gymnasium for a lot of our uh, exercise classes dance classes our art classes are at the Suzanne Patterson building and when we're in full force with things like our evergreen forum the classroom spaces, uh is still in use as well so uh this location gives us a great supplement to that and we're really uh excited to be here
2: yeah well it's, it's great to hear that people are that comfortable that they'll come
1: early or stay late and hang out i mean and it's a nice patio to be out there and right you know yeah they had they had a great time it was nice to you know see that put into use we've got several things planned this uh this spring and summer we're going to do uh uh, music on the Patio series where we're just going to have some live music and we've got a classical guitarist one week and a folk singer another week, and just to do some uh, things where people can get together and enjoy the space and um, spend time with friends and getting to know new people. So, well, if I need a place to hide, I'm going to come sit on your patio. <laughs> All right, that sounds great. Cr- I'm, I'm off and down there, Mark. I, I kid you not, in the winter when I was working on a grant proposal or something else, I would go and sit by the fireplace and it just was a great place to think. And now I'm often, if I just need some 30 minutes of, you know, what I call strategic time or thinking time, I'll just go sit on the patio and it's a great space to just clear your head and, and get some, uh, some good innovation going. So. There you
2: go. So, um, you know, let's, every group has been impacted by, by COVID obviously. So, I mean, during COVID, I, I believe that um, your organization had to pivot to, I guess, almost all online. But how did how did you guys do that, and and uh, you know, just give us a little bit of, of what that was like?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I know that every organization dealt with many of the the same challenges. So we realized right at the beginning of March of 2020, um, I think. You know, we really uh, led the way in some degree in terms of the need to shut down because of the the community that we serve, the population we serve, what we knew at the time about uh, COVID and older adults being among the most vulnerable, um, that it was important for us to really uh, value and prioritize the safety of our participants. So we uh, shut down pretty quickly um, at the beginning of March and we pivoted online and within two weeks we were offering you know most of our classes in an online format so we committed to a platform so we for us it was zoom we committed to that platform we did the the trainings had our staff trained we began to train um, you know volunteers Uh, we took the time organizationally to teach the platform and i think that was one of the things that was you know most important so we had Uh, In the first eight weeks of COVID, we taught about 700 older adults how to use Zoom with different platforms that they had. So I like to say uh, and tell people that those those first eight weeks for most of our staff and volunteers was like living a Saturday Night Live sketch. Uh, So if you picture that in your mind, we're just teaching people who are not familiar with the technology, you know, how to use that technology, and we had, you know. Three months into COVID, I got one of the most uh, powerful letters that I received. It was a woman who was uh, in her mid 80s, and she told me the story about her hosting her family's Passover Seder on Zoom. And so she was writing to say thank you because not only was she able to participate in the things we offered, but because of the teaching that we gave. And one of our tech volunteers spent extra time to teach her. She was the host. And she said, there's lots of people in the family that could have hosted, but I'm always the host. And so <laughs> just being able to do that was uh, was so incredibly meaningful for her. And that for me, you know, is just exactly why we did what we did. It wasn't only about, hey, we need to teach people so that they can participate with us. But we knew that this is where the world was going to be headed for a long time and uh, to teach people how they can be full participants in that you know zooming now is just a is a normal part of our vocabulary for many people but at the beginning it wasn't and uh, it was scary and so just offering that assistance was really important and then the other thing is that at the same time realizing that a number of our constituents were not online and weren't able to be online for different reasons whether it was the you know the cost of Wi-Fi or not having a device or simply not being comfortable with the technology and so we uh, committed as a staff to regular telephonic check-ins with people just how are you doing is there anything we can do to help you what are the needs that you have and uh, and that was important so while while going high-tech I I used to say high-tech and high-touch so yes we have to go high-tech but we also have to remain in high touch with all of our constituents, not just through technology.
2: Yeah, you know, I, th- I think that that whole effort to reach out so much, especially during a, a time period where the degree of isolation that people experienced was so so much higher. I mean, it's potentially so much higher than than right. usual. And, you know, I mean, how many, I'm sure there were a number of groups and people that thought, hey, let's reach out to to others on a regular basis. But, you know, you guys had a, a program aimed at just that. So, I mean, when you think of all the good that you accomplished, I mean, that's just to be commended. Yeah. Well,
1: thank you very much. And I will say, I think, you know, Princeton has an extraordinary nonprofit and civic community. And one of the, one of the best parts for me about, um, that you see as a silver lining through the pandemic is the way that the nonprofit community, the churches and uh, the, the, the council and others came together. And we, uh, for almost uh, 15 months, met on a weekly basis with agencies and nonprofits. And we were discussing, you know, everything from, you know, access to nutrition, to covering uh, how, do, how do we do childcare and schooling really well, how do we talk about housing insecurity in the midst of a pandemic? And to see the way the agencies work together, and it's just, you know, in in the nonprofit world generally, there's often uh, a perception that there's a, a competition for resources. But I can honestly say, in this community, there was such a coming together, and I am grateful for my colleagues across the board. Uh, because it was a commitment to the community and to the individuals. And uh, I think that's what was first and foremost in people's minds. Yeah, I mean, community is important.
2: Um, So anyway, as we've seen, as we hopefully are moving on uh, and dealing with COVID, um, although I don't think it's ever going to disappear, but anyway, (laughs) as we try to move on and deal with COVID, uh, and there's more in-person meetings and gatherings you know, how is the Princeton Senior Resource Center
1: delivering services and, and programs today versus not too long ago? Yeah, no, that's great. We um, we just started probably at the beginning of March to open up after the, the Omicron variant kind of pushed us back a little bit. In the beginning of March, we started to open up for uh, in-person programming. And, you know, we have things in the building every day, uh, groups that uh, gather or classes that are held Uh, And so we're beginning to see people come back to that and be comfortable uh, in that. Um, And at the same time, we made a commitment as a board to really developing the technology so that we can continue both virtual and hybrid programs because one of the things that we learned is that um, along the way many people are ready to come back in person to events and programs but many people aren't and so we really needed to invest in the technology and that's something we probably wouldn't have done to the same extent uh, that we did um, because of COVID and that technology really gives us You know the chance to make sure our programs are accessible we put hearing loops in all of our classrooms to help people with auditory issues we have the hybrid technology um, you know and so we're we're just really trying to be thoughtful of offering programs for everyone it's really important to us that we serve the entire community so we want to serve those who are really anxious to come in person and we've got things that are happening here Uh, we put operable windows in this building. And if you've been in the building before, you know that wasn't something here. But in all of our spaces, we have operable windows. So there can be fresh air and, and a flow of air throughout the building. Um, and so uh, we're we're back in person. Our staff is in person. We're welcoming people here. But we're also working hard to provide things virtually and uh, in a hybrid format. Yeah, you know, I'm on the uh, your email distribution list. So I am
2: just amazed at all the different things that you do offer so with that in mind what what are your most popular programs or services
1: so I would say uh, many people know of the evergreen forum that is uh, our our top uh, program in terms of number of registrations we offer two semesters uh, 22 to 25 classes typically in each semester Uh, between 600 and 700 students every semester. And those classes are taught by uh, retired faculty from different institutions, including Princeton, but also retired faculty from Ryder and Rutgers and others, Uh, some active faculty, some retired uh, folks in industry or in medicine. And the classes, what I love about Evergreen is, you know, they're they're not um, what some would... Define as kind of typical senior center program it there are classes on political science and literature and the natural sciences and uh, We have uh, a class always on the Supreme Court and different views on on the Supreme Court and so there's just uh, a, a breadth of the evergreen forum I think our grandpals program is one of the things that also many people in Princeton know, because we have, uh, right up until COVID, we've partnered an older adult reader with every kindergarten student in Princeton, in the Princeton public school system. And they would read in the schools once a week. And that was just such a phenomenal program. We're, we're anxious to get that back when the schools are ready and people are ready to be uh, in person to that extent again. Uh, we've done some intergenerational programming we're working now as a with a pen pal program with fourth graders who are uh, learning to write letters and so you know our grand pals have converted to being pen pals and we have a program with corner house called seniors for seniors where some of our uh, seniors are paired with uh, the high school seniors in their leadership program at corner house and that's a great program as well and then i think most popular is our our support and guidance services so one of the things that sets us apart from all of the senior centers in mercer county and most throughout the state is we actually have a social service department we have social workers on staff who are really committed to helping people walk through the challenges of aging, and so, you know, just the other day, I sat with our director of social services, Sharon, and a family, and we were talking about, you know, the importance of of care, and this person wanted to stay in home and have care for their spouse, and uh, it was just a wonderful thing for me to see the way our social service team supports the community and can offer guidance and resource connection.
2: (laughs) It's a busy place, my gosh. It, it is a busy place. It's an
1: incredible incredible thing to be a part of, for sure. Yeah.
2: So, um, all right, it's disregard that I said I'm on your email list already, but yeah. so how, do I, how, how do I join the Princeton, Resource, um, Princeton Senior Resource Center or how do I take advantage of your services and programs? What's the, the magic ways to, to know what's
1: going on? Yeah, so the best thing you could do, and thank you for the, the heads up, is to uh, just get on our email list. Go to our website. You can sign up for our email list. Uh, also, you can call us. Just give us a call here at the office. We'll connect you uh, with our email list. We send out our our uh, newsletter, both electronically and you can do a paper subscription if that's important for you. Uh, we'd love to send you a, uh, a paper copy of our newsletter uh, and and the website and those are the best ways to kind of know what's going on. Uh, in terms of joining, we're not a membership-based organization, so we really it's really important for us that we are open to everyone. And when we think about that, you know, when I talk to to colleagues working with older adults in the community, we really serve uh, people who are sixty and above, and so that's people who are preparing for retirement, who are you know, early retirement, mid retirement, late retirement. We have at least three generations and coming up we'll be bordering on four as the lifespan expands, four generations of people that we serve at PSRC. And so there's something for everyone. There's no barriers to, uh, to participation. We have programs that are free, programs that do cost, uh, but for our programs that cost, we have a very generous scholarship program as well. So we really want to eliminate the, the barriers for everyone. If you see something that you're interested in and it might uh, be a little too much in your budget, all you have to do is give us a call and we will uh, offer a scholarship to you to participate. So that's important for us as well.
2: Yeah, and it's important for people to be able to to fully partake in, in what you do. So right. All right, so how, how do people support? I mean, you're a nonprofit, right? So how do we... This is, this is a plug out there, everybody listening. Yeah. So how do we help
1: support you? What do we do to make sure you're successful financially? That's fantastic. So, you know, one thing that we try and do all the time is just communicate that we are a community nonprofit. And that's, that's important because so many people, you know, so many senior centers are municipally owned and operated. And that means their entire budget comes from the municipality. So when people hear senior center, that's often what's in their mind. And we really think we have a better model Which is a public-private partnership, and we've had that partnership with uh, Princeton uh, since 1974. And uh, you know, and but we—that means we raise about 80% of our budget through individual donations, corporate sponsorships. So people can go to our website, and we have a donate button uh, on our website. We have an annual appeal uh, every year, and uh, and so that's that's one of the best ways to donate. I would love to talk to anybody who's interested in the work that we do and uh, share with them about that. Um, And then also, we, you know, from time to time, we'll do fundraisers. We've got a couple great little fundraisers coming up. One, we're doing a cheese tasting class with Olson's Fine Foods. And, uh, you know, so we're going to have wine and cheese one afternoon here in the new building. It would give you a chance to see the building and also support us. We've got one coming up that's a spirits tasting with the uh, Sourland Mountain Distillery. And uh, we're going to be tasting a lot of spirits. So, you know, come and have wine and cheese and spirits. And, you know, it's a a fun way to, to support us as well. So we really try and offer lots of ways for people to serve us. But that support is really important to our annual, you know, operations. That's good. Thank you. So, okay, so let me ask
2: you another question. It gets into support. Yeah. Um, you must have a, a capital campaign underway for your for your new facility. I, I'm assuming. So, any uh, any words you want to share on that?
1: Yeah, and thank you for that. And I didn't I didn't pay you to ask that question either. But uh, you know, we have a, a 5.3 million dollar capital campaign to run this uh, to to purchase the building, to do the renovations, to be able to run it on an annual basis. Uh, We have uh, 4.3 committed from our leadership uh, And we're just now launching our public phase of our capital campaign. We need to raise a million dollars from this community uh, And I think we'll be able to do that. So we really would uh, encourage people to think about the fact that PSRC and this new facility is a community asset for Princeton that will be here for years to come. So even if you know, you yourself are not in that older adult time frame. It's still something that that you will benefit from in the years to come. So consider uh, a gift to our capital campaign. I would love, again, to connect personally with folks who are interested. You can just call our offices and let us know that your interests are Send me an email directly. And, uh, I'd be happy to give you a tour and tell you the details about the campaign, but we really do see this as a community asset and would invite the community to join us in, in making this a reality. I hear you. So, um, if, if, um, looking you guys up on the web, I think it's, uh, princetonsenior.org. Is that the right? princetonsenior.org is the, is the website. And, uh, 751-9699 is the uh is the telephone number so call us visit our website send me an email i'm just ddyson at org, and i'd love to connect with the folks who are listening okay good good i always like to make sure we get the, the contact information yeah, somewhere very specific during the podcast there. so people can <laughs> say oh yeah yeah um that's right all right
2: so one one last question um you know what do you see unfolding for uh, Princeton Senior Resource Center over the next 3 to 5 years what's what's going to be happening do you think
1: yeah this is such a such a great question we are in the middle of our strategic planning process organizationally now working on our next 5 year uh, strategic plan that we are uh, hoping to finalize in the next month or two uh, and some of the things that i think you'll see is further expansion of our support and guidance services uh, so the the work that we do in supporting the community with uh, support groups social work services uh, some growth in the areas of early memory loss that's something that um, you know we found people are really asking for um, you know help with uh, you know ways that you can uh, stave off memory loss but also when you're experiencing that you know how can you navigate that that territory um, we will also be uh, working and continuing our work with affordable housing communities uh, to serve the residents in those communities and the new uh, affordable housing units for seniors that are going up uh, right near the the uh, shopping center. And so, you know, we expect you know our our support and guidance services will continue to expand with that. Uh, we'll see an expansion in our lifelong learning programs. That is. Um, A lot of what we read about um, older adults and the future of older adults is engagement and you know what I always like to to encourage people to do is to step outside the box and really do something that you never had time to do when you were working so we have art classes and you know classes that are are challenging from an academic standpoint and we have You know, things that you can learn how to do for the first time and exercise to keep yourself healthy. So uh, just an expansion of those lifelong learning programs and with the new building. Uh, And then there'll be a lot of work on the virtual and hybrid space, again, to try and reach more people. One of the things that we found in COVID that has been phenomenal uh, and another one of those silver linings is uh, people who used to come to the senior center, but then you know, now are homebound and they have home care, but they can they can log on to an event and they can participate in a class. So uh, residents of our community who just don't get out uh, as much as they were able to do previously. And uh, so this virtual and hybrid, uh, programming is going to be an important part of our future as well. So we can con- con- continue to connect with the greatest number of people. Good to hear. Thank
2: you. So I just want to repeat your phone number one more time because I know a lot of places when you dial, you got to include the area code. So
1: 609 right. uh, the- 751 609- yep. There we go.
2: All right. Hey, Drew, thank you so much for sharing
1: all this and thanks for being with us today. This was really good. I appreciate it. Mark, thank you very much. It's been great. and I appreciate the conversation. Thank you for joining us
0: for episode 17 of the Princeton Podcast, produced as a community service by HG Media, providing audio, video, and website design services here in Princeton since 1999. If you enjoyed this episode of the Princeton Podcast, please share it with your friends and be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts.